I know we've got a lot of visitors with us today, so as we turn to the message that I prepared, I feel like I need to kind of bring you up to speed. If this is your first time at HRCC, um, I need to begin with a confession. For the last four months or so, I've been mailing it in. <laughs> I have not been composing my own sermons. I am guilty of plagiarism. I have been plagiarizing Jesus. Now, I've found that there are two distinct advantages to plagiarizing Jesus. The first is this. If you're going to plagiarize another preacher, who better than Jesus? <laughs> I mean, his material is quite literally out of this world. See what I did there? Yeah. And the second advantage is, is this. Uh, there's almost zero chance that he's going to file a lawsuit. And so I feel like we're going to get away with this, just, just plagiarizing his material. Actually, what I've been doing is adding a whole lot of my own words to his. But what we've done over these weeks as we've made our way through this sermon is we've started each one of my sermons by just repeating verbatim a portion of one of the most famous sermons that we have recorded in the Bible that Jesus ever preached. It's a sermon we call sometimes the Sermon on the Mount, because he preached it while sitting on a mountainside, according to the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' treatise on the kingdom of God. Early in Jesus' ministry, he referred often to the kingdom of God. And the Sermon on the Mount was that moment early on where he sits down and said, let me explain to you what I mean when I say kingdom of God. And so we've kind of very slowly made our way through that sermon. We've heard Jesus describe the kingdom. What does the kingdom look like? We've heard Jesus explain what does it mean to actually live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And over the last few weeks in particular, we've heard Jesus talk about how does one get into the kingdom of God? How does one gain entry to the kingdom of God? The words that I'm going to plagiarize today, though, we're, we're coming to the very end of this sermon. It's just just today and then next week, and then we'll be moving on to other topics. These words, this portion of the sermon that I'm going to plagiarize today, it's, it's different than what we've heard so far. These words don't describe people entering the kingdom of God. They describe people who, who thought they were part of the kingdom of God, but they discover too late that in fact they never were. And so I'm going to read to you. What I want you to do is, is what we've been doing throughout this series. Imagine that you're among those, those crowds in first century Judea and you've gathered on this mountainside and, and the preacher sits down and begins to instruct and you hear him say these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? <laughs> then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These are among the most frightening words we've heard Jesus speak, right? I can tell you, this passage scares people. In all the years I've been in ministry, many, many times I've had uh, good, well-meaning Christians come to me and say, Pastor, I'm worried. I just read this passage in Matthew chapter 7. What if he's talking about me? 
What if I do the church thing? What if I do the faith thing? What if I do the Bible thing? My whole life thinking I've got it all together and then I die and I stand before him and he goes, depart from me for I never knew you. What if he's talking about me? This is scary. How can we ever be totally confident that we've gotten everything right? How can we ever be totally confident that we won't end our lives and and stand in front of Jesus only to have a really, really terrible, terrible surprise in store for us? If you've ever, ever had that concern, I hope you'll just bear with me for a little while this morning because I think we're going to hear Jesus alleviate that concern. So let's go back and review how he began. It was Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the very first words that I plagiarized today. Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I want to talk about that for a minute. It's my experience that when you ask a Christian how they became a Christian, you know, oh, you're a Christian? How did that happen? When did you become a Christian? Like, what did that look like? How did that happen? If you ask that of someone, and particularly if you ask that of, of, of somebody whose faith is, is of the evangelical branch, as, as most of ours is, if you ask a Christian how they became a Christian, very often the answer, we will point to a time when we said something. It has to do with things that we say. In, in our understanding of salvation, very often it comes down to a point when you verbalized a decision. And so you might say something like this. Oh, that happened when I prayed the sinner's prayer, right? I said a particular prayer with my mouth. Or you might say, oh, that happened when I first asked forgiveness for my sin. Something I said. I asked forgiveness for my sin. Uh, That happened when I invited Jesus into my heart. That's a phrase we use sometimes, right? It's it's the thing we say. Or if we want to sound a little bit more intellectual, we might say, well, that was when I first made a confession of faith, right? All of those are examples of things that we say. We tie our faith. When did you become a Christian? When did you, in our parlance, enter the kingdom? When did that happen? And it's very common for us to tie that to, well, it's when I said a particular thing. And, and I think there's nothing wrong with that because the things that we say are a very important part of our faith. Calling Jesus Lord is, is absolutely a foundational, important part of what it means to be a Christian. Some of you may even have memorized from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, a verse that says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? That's what it says. If you declare it with your mouth, in the end of that verse, you will be saved. So do words matter when it comes to salvation, when it comes to entering the kingdom of heaven? Do words matter? Yes, they absolutely matter. But I think what Jesus is saying here is bear in mind that words don't give us the whole picture. Jesus is merely pointing out here what I think all of us know. Words are cheap. Words are cheap, right? We already referenced in our prayer time, we're about to go you know, in, into the voting places. We're about to make decisions about politicians. How many of us know words are cheap? Words are cheap. You know, a lot of things can be said, but it, it's not what's said that really demonstrates what's true. And so we have to remember that the kingdom of heaven isn't merely a matter of saying the right words like, 
maybe knowing the secret password to get into a speakeasy during prohibition or to get into a, a, a particular highly exclusive nightclub. It's not a matter of just saying the right word and then they let you in. It's a reminder from Jesus that the way we live matters. It matters just as much as what we say. And so Jesus is saying here, that kingdom lives align what we say with what we do. Kingdom lives align. They bring those two things into alignment, what we say with what we do. A few weeks ago, we highlighted a word that we've heard Jesus use several times throughout this sermon, several times in a row. It's, it's a word to describe people that don't belong in the kingdom of God. The word was hypocrite. We talked about hypocrite. And, and that's, I think, what's, what's in view here. A hypocrite is someone who talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. But I think we have to be really careful here not to carry this idea. It's a good idea. We need to align what we say with what we do. But let's, let's caution ourselves not to carry this idea to the extreme. Because the line that I plagiarized Jesus, uh, it has Jesus saying, only the one who does the will of my father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the extreme application of that would, would raise the question, is Jesus saying, is Jesus suggesting that good deeds are what earn us the right to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Is he saying, well, I don't really care what you say. you got to show me. So I'm going to evaluate your deeds. And if you're good enough, you get to go to heaven. And if you're not good enough, sorry, depart from me for I never knew you. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, no, of course not. That's contrary to everything we believe about our faith. The things we do don't ensure our right to go to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. It's not the things you do that get you admission into the kingdom of heaven. It's the gift of God. It's grace. When it comes to living in the kingdom of heaven, it's not a matter of saying the right thing. And it's not even a matter of doing the right thing. It's a matter of taking what we say and what we do, bringing those two things into alignment under the authority of Jesus. And I think that's probably pretty obvious to most of us today. Most of us in this room probably feel like we can sniff out a hypocrite pretty easily, can't we? You know, eventually a hypocrite's going to show themselves, and, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't want to think that God is okay with hypocrites having free access to his kingdom. But Jesus says we can't stop there because there's actually one more element that needs to be aligned. Because what he's done in this passage that we plagiarize is he's described a group of people whose, whose words and actions do line up, right? They said, we called you, Lord, and we did great things on your behalf. Our words and our actions did line up, but those folks get dismissed anyhow. Here's the explanation. It came in verse 23. Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. He goes on to refer to them as evildoers. I want that to sink in for a moment. 
Do you remember the description of the people in view here? These are folks who have done great things, kingdom things. They've done great things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says to them, yeah, it looks good, but those actions were evil. Depart from me, you evildoers. What's evil about that? What's the missing ingredient here? The answer is in his words. He says, I never knew you. The missing ingredient is relationship. Entryway to the kingdom of heaven comes only to those who are known by Jesus. So we need to add to our statement. We already said kingdom lives align what we say with what we do, but we need to add this because kingdom lives align not only what we say with what we do, but also who we know, who we know. You know, it occurs to me that maybe a better way of saying this is the kingdom lives align what we say with what we do and who knows us, right? Because Jesus isn't saying you didn't know me. He's saying, I I never knew you. The issue is the relationship. Do we know Jesus? The the issue there is, does Jesus know us? The idea of entering the kingdom through relationship with Jesus is something that Jesus is referencing here, but it's something he would talk about throughout his entire earthly ministry. And even at the very end, the very last day that Jesus would spend with his disciples prior to his crucifixion, the night on which He was betrayed as he is sharing the Last Supper with them. He's still talking about entering the kingdom of God through a relationship with himself. John chapter 14, and maybe you remember this verse as well. Verse 6, he says, I am the way. This is Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And then listen to what he says next. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. He's talking about relationship, isn't it? It's not merely sufficient to take what we do and what we say and bring those things into alignment. He's saying there needs to be real relationship there. Depart from me for I never knew you. It's this idea of knowing Jesus and therefore being known by Jesus that seems to be the tripping point. There are folks in this world who say all the right things. And by their actions, they might seem to be citizens of God's kingdom because they're doing all of the right things. But they've missed out on a relationship with Jesus. And that's the real key, isn't it? That's the real key to finding a seat at heaven's banquet table. Banquet table. Last week I preached about buffets. This week I'm preaching about a banquet table. Thanksgiving is is right around the corner, isn't it? Glory, hallelujah. (laughs) I was thinking about this. I I, I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine imagine I had never met the D'Onofrios. Imagine I didn't know them and they didn't know me. But I had heard through the grapevine that there was this family that through the greatest, most extravagant, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner, the banquet. And I thought, I want to be at that banquet. I, w- I want to find out what it's like to sit at the D'Onofrio Thanksgiving banquet table. But I've never met them. So what do I do? I go to the computer and I Google them. And I learn everything I can about them. I find out who they are and where they've been 
and what they've done. I educate myself. I ask around. I find people who have met them and say, tell me what this Bob and Marianne couple are really like. And they start telling me about them. And I learn as much as I possibly can. And then on Thanksgiving Day, about 3 o'clock or so, I show up at their house. I ring the doorbell. Bob and Marianne come to the front door. They look at me. They've never seen me before in their life, right? I say, Bob, how you doing, buddy? How's retirement been treating you? How's, how's things going not having to drive for UPS every day? You feeling good? I'll bet this holiday season it feels really good. Pastor Marianne, how you been? How's that ministry going over to Tivoli? That going well? Man, it smells like the turkey's almost ready. I'm so glad to be here. I'm talking the talk, aren't I? I start asking them about their kids. I start calling them by name. I say, how's so-and-so doing? How are they doing? How are the grandkids? Are they coming up from Texas? How are they, you know, like, what's going on? Everybody feeling good? They're just looking at me like, who is this guy? But I'm not just talking the talk. I, you know, I'm doing the right things, too. I say, I got up today. I got the green bean casserole, just like I knew you wanted. Here it is. It's warm. You're probably going to have to nuke it in the microwave right before dinner. But it is ready to go. Green bean casserole good. I brought it. What if just the curry favor with Pastor Marianne, I even wore a Packers jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, Go, Aaron. Uh, I can't even make myself say it. <laughs> and they're still standing in the doorway looking at me going, who is this guy? And so having done all of those things and having said all of those things, I take a step forward and try and elbow my way in and look for my seat at the dining room table because... Dan got to get down with the Thanksgiving banquet. You know what I'm saying? What does Bob say to me in that moment? First thing he says is, Marianne, go call the police. <laughs> Second thing he says is, depart from me, for I never knew you. Right? This is a family banquet. By invitation only. You don't get to show up and pretend you're a D'Onofrio and look like a D'Onofrio, but we never met you, and expect that we're gonna have a seat ready for you. You don't get to do that, so you best get off my property because I have no idea who you are. You're not Brother Dan. You're not Cousin Dan. You're not Uncle Dan. We don't know who you are. Please leave. We're trying to have a party. That, I think, is the image that Jesus is getting to us here. He's saying, look, it's not just about looking the part. It's not just about talking the part. It's not just about acting the part. We have to have a relationship. I, you want to come to my banquet? That's great. I, I would love nothing more than to put a, a, a seat at the table for you. But I got to know who you are. I got to know what name to write down on the place card. Tanafi, do you have place cards at the Thanksgiving? See? See? <laughs> I got to know what name to put down on the place card. Look, in my observation, in my observation, too many of us want to know about Jesus more than we actually want to know Jesus. 
You know what I'm saying? Too many of us want to Google them. Too many of us want to talk to people who we think know him. But we're scared about getting to know him ourselves. Sometimes we place a higher value on doing good things than we do on doing God things. And that's not the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. To do that, Jesus says, we need to really, really know him. Okay, how are we going to do that? You want to, you want to go to heaven. You want to enter the kingdom of God, right? You want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Pastor Dan says, okay, you need to bring what you do into alignment with what you say under the authority of Jesus, but you have to, have to, have to have an actual relationship with Jesus. Great, I'm on board. How am I going to do that? How am I going to actually cultivate a relationship with Jesus? Church, you're going to be disappointed with me because I'm going to give you three very, very cliche answers. If you ask this question in kids' church down the hall, it's probably the very same three answers they give you because they're the same three right answers to every question we ask in kids' church. Are you ready? Are you ready? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I'm not talking about just familiarizing yourself with a verse or two from a page a day calendar or some app that sends you a motivational thought each morning. I'm not talking about watching YouTube videos of a hundred different preachers giving a hundred different sermons. I'm talking about you, you reading your Bible for yourself. Second Timothy chapter 3.15 says, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You want to get to know Jesus? You want to be saved? Read your Bible. We get intimidated by that sometimes because we feel like we can't understand the mysterious ancient language of Scripture. But we need to bear in mind that God has promised to meet us in his word. God has promised to meet us in his word. We can learn the Bible. We can understand the Bible, especially when we digest it together in community, which leads me to my second answer. How are we going to get to know Jesus? We can know Jesus by experiencing life in a church community, by going to church. Churches are filled with imperfect people, aren't they? Right? Like none of us actually looks totally and completely like Jesus, and that can be a turnoff. I understand why people take a, a cursory look at a church and feel like, I don't know that I want to do that. But look, there's something deeper than that going on, because the Bible is very clear that God has promised to make his presence known in a unique way in the gathering place of his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you know that you, and we don't see it in the English here, but it's very clear that that word you is plural. If Jesus was Southern, actually this is the Apostle Paul, if the Apostle Paul was Southern, if he was where Lauren's family is from, East Texas, he'd be saying, don't you know that y'all, did I get that right? Thank you, thank you. Don't you know that y'all, yourselves, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He goes on to explain it to us northerners. God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. He's saying when you gather there, my presence will be. Of course, you can sense God's presence on your own and you can do some things to develop a relationship with Jesus on your own. But there is no getting around the fact that God himself has promised that presence is experienced in unique ways where his people are gathered. Read your Bible. Go to church. 
Anyone want to guess what number three is? Oh, my goodness. I can just sit down and y'all can go home. But I'm not gonna. <laughs> we can get to know Jesus by spending time in prayer. It's really that simple. Prayer is a conversation. And conversations are how people get to know each other. Sometimes we say, man, I, I just, I, I'm not good at prayer. Like I sit down and I say, dear God. And then I don't know what to say. Can I tell you the first time I met Sue? I didn't know what to say. Right? Our early conversations were not exactly Shakespearean in nature. They were short and they were awkward. Gosh, you're pretty. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I, I didn't know her very well. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't, you know, what are we going to even talk about? But over time, conversations grow. And they grow as we get to know one another. And our prayer life begins to flourish as we get to know Jesus. Because Jesus reveals himself to us in prayer. In the book of Romans, again, in chapter 8, it talks about that awkwardness of not knowing how to pray. He says, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but listen to this. Watch this. The Spirit himself intercedes for us because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit says, this is what I'm here for. And the more you let me do it, the more you're going to know your Savior. You want to know Jesus better? Read the word. Pray. Go to church. Over in kids' church now, they've really got a handle on this, but sometimes we need to remember all of these things. So let's circle back to the starting point. A life destined for the kingdom of God is a life that brings what we say and what we do into alignment, but into alignment with a real relationship with Jesus. Because words can be rehearsed, right? Actions can be insincere, but there is no substitute for a real relationship. Before we go, I have to make one point very clear. I don't want you to listen to this sermon and turn it into a formula. I don't believe that Jesus is trying to tell us there are three steps to ensuring your admittance into heaven on that greater day. So please take notes and have your cards available with you when you get to the front of the line. Step number one, say the right things. Step number two, do good deeds. Step number three, get to know me, and if you do that, I'll let you into heaven. That was a pretty good Jesus voice, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't think Jesus is trying to give that to us as a formula. Do A, then do B, then do C, and I will do D. That's how that, no, 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 no. Here's what I think is going on here. A week ago, we heard Jesus talk about fruit. Now, fruit is the natural outcome of your way of life. Orange trees don't have to really concentrate on producing oranges. Orange trees don't sit there all year long going, I sure hope I make an orange. I sure hope I make an orange. I sure hope I make an orange. No, if an orange tree is strong and healthy, oranges are inevitable. They're going to happen. If an orange tree is where an orange tree is supposed to be, Oranges are going to happen. You could boil it down this way. Fruit happens. Maybe that would be a good bumper sticker. <laughs> Fruit happens. It's just what happens. It's my belief that what we've heard Jesus say today is a discussion about fruit. He's not saying do these three things in this order and when you do, I'll let you into heaven for sure. He's describing the fruit. He's describing the natural outcome of a life lived for God's kingdom. He's saying, here's what a kingdom life 
looks like. It's a life that keeps these three related elements into perfect alignment. And that's why I put those arrows on your note, note sheet there. Because what we say, that's our words, right? They need to match up with what we do. Those are our actions, right? But both of those things need to match up with who we know. And that's relationship. Words, actions, relationship. That's what a kingdom life looks like. Because a life lived in the kingdom can't help but demonstrate each one of those three things. Just like a healthy orange tree can't help but to produce oranges. A life lived in the kingdom can't help but to have words in submission to the authority of Jesus, actions in submission to the authority of Jesus, and a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus himself. A kingdom life can't help but to call Jesus Lord. Book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15. It says, there were loud voices in heaven. These are kingdom voices, right? And those voices said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Just very, very fancy way of saying, Jesus is Lord. A kingdom life can't help but declare that Jesus is Lord. A kingdom life can't help but have the right actions. It can't help but to do God's will. Again, from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 10. You have made them, O Lord, you have made the redeemed people of this earth to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, to do his will, to do the right things. That's what happens in the kingdom. Kingdom people have been made to do the right actions. It can't help it. You don't get out of that one if you're in the kingdom. It's inevitable fruit of a kingdom life. And a kingdom life can't help but develop a real relationship with the Lord of the kingdom. Again, from the book of Revelation, at the very, very end of all things, chapter 21, verse 3, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. That's relationship. That's relationship. You can't help. If you're in the kingdom, it's going to happen. All of these verses that I've read, each, each one of these three points are all from the book of Revelation. I did that specifically and purposefully. It's the Bible's final book. And in large part, it, it points to a reality that we haven't seen, but it's the clearest description of what the, the kingdom of God in its purest form looks like. And it's saying in the kingdom, you can't help but have the right words, but have the right actions but have the right relationship. So yeah, all of that is coming. All of that is coming. But the whole point of Jesus's message, the whole point of what he said on earth is that it is, it, it, it is possible. Did you catch that? It is possible. It is even necessary for the people of God to begin living today as citizens of his kingdom even as if they could see it plainly with their own eyes. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we live that way already, even though we have not yet seen it. Living as a citizen of the kingdom means bringing your words and your actions into alignment under the lordship of Jesus. But it also means having a relationship with the king himself. And when you've done that, Knowing him, knowing him, 
means never having to worry about being sent away. Knowing him means never having to be concerned about hearing that depart from me. Knowing him means the assurance that there is a card at a chair, at a table, at a banquet that has your name on it. And when you arrive at the door, what you'll hear, well done, well done, good and faithful. Enter now, enter now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words today. We thank you for the many celebrations we've had together today. We thank you for the assurance that we get from your word. Lord, as we know Jesus, it's not a matter of being scared. What if that's me? What if I end up on the short end of the stick? What if this warning was intended for me? How can I ever know? Lord, help us to divert our focus and our attention away from the worries of the what if and instead onto the assurance. The assurance. It's not how could I ever know. It's thank you for the one that I do know. Thank you for Jesus today. Help us to avoid the pitfalls of trying to develop a relationship with Jesus by proxy. Trying to think that because we Google it, because we talk to somebody else that knows him, because we listen to a certain number of sermons or specials on the History Channel or read books or anything else. Help us to avoid the pitfall of thinking that's what a relationship looks like. Lord, help us to persevere in those times when, when prayer or going to church or reading our Bible just feels like a bridge too far. It feels like it's something that's not for us. Remind us, Holy Spirit, in those moments, no, 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 it is for you. It's where I'm going to meet you. Remind us of that in those moments. Lord, I believe you are calling, you are calling out to your people. You are in the business of gathering. It gives you no joy to tell somebody to depart from me. Your business is in the gathering of the saints. And so gather your people into yourself today. As we respond to your word, Gather us into your presence. Lord, I speak for many in this room when I say it's our desire to live in the assurance that, that you have for us, that we are citizens of your kingdom, members of a community that we can't yet see with our eyes, but that we live in accordance, in alignment with all the same. Strengthen us, encourage us, and bless us as we endeavor to do so faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.